And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Welcome to Rates and Barrels. It's Tuesday, August 1st. Happy Trade Deadline Day. Derek Van Riper, Eno Saris, Chris Welsh all here with you with a project prospect. Looking at some of the players that have been on the move so far. Hopefully we'll get some breaking news along the way. And not the low-grade breaking news that has given Eno Saris the ass on this uh, fine, <laughs> fine day. That AJ Pollock trade was just a waiver claim. Grr, don't we announce don't that know. as a trade. Keep we that to yourself. Know. They could get a player to be named later or cash back in the return sometime down the road. We don't know how much money or which player, but there will be something going back the other way eventually. So it won't be a waiver claim in the long run. You think? I wonder if it would be like a Visa card, too. They'd just be like, listen, we got like a $200 Visa (laughs) card we got from from Fry's or Safeway, and here you go. This is. I hate those, too, because you can never spend every every dime off it, and you can try to keep using it, and they're like, that's been declined. You're like, oh, gosh, I guess it only has like $5 on it. (laughs) Yeah, and then what, are you going to reload it, pay another $5 to reload those things? No. No, just bring them to Target. They always work at Target. They always take whatever's left on there, all your spare gift cards oh, like that. Oh, thank you. Thank you. That's a good tip. Yeah. Okay, I was so happy to find that out. I feel like <laughs> nothing else we say will be as valuable as that tip that I just gave everybody <laughs> right at the beginning of the show. <laughs> so hopefully with the bar set appropriately low, we can exceed some expectations. Let's start today with the one-for-one trade that went down on Monday. Perhaps the, depending on the list you look at, highest ranked prospect that will get moved at this deadline. Results may vary. Kyle Manzardo gets flipped to the Guardians in the Aaron Savale trade. Now, Welsh, Kyle Manzardo has put up great numbers everywhere he's played in the minor leagues up until this season at AAA Durham. This seems like a pretty smart buy low for a Guardians team that has plenty of pitching and could use someone that can come in and mash on the corner, potentially for the next half decade. Yeah, as soon as this trade went down, I kind of just was like, what? Like all I did for a little bit was this just is the say, biggest what of the trade deadline. So yeah, far. this might be the shocker, one that we didn't expect. So the whole time was just like, wait a minute, hold on, what's going on here? Because I think there's like three things at play. First off, there is the actual performance of Manzardo, which to your point, it's down. His strikeout rate is up. His batting average is way down. This is the first level he has ever hit, not only under 300, but he is almost like 100 points lower than last year. He's only hitting 238. Not good. The power numbers down compared to 2022. The guy had in 63 games in just high eight. <laughs> he had 17 homers. He's got 11 in 73 games here. So you see that underlying stuff, <coughs> excuse me, underlying stuff, Still in play for him. Hard hit. He's pulling the ball. He's not hitting ground balls. Line drives are still there. So that's in play. So there's the performance. The second is, is Aaron Savale this good? Like, is this the value <laughs> on a pitcher with two more years of service time? Understandably thinking like, okay, 
the Rays have been decimated with injuries. Springs out next year. This gives them control. Maybe they, you know, they can figure out the stuff. Okay. The third, and this is the one I've been sitting on, is what do the Rays know? And that's what I can't get out because it's we, we've said it a whole bunch. When the Rays get rid of somebody, what's the deal? Because they don't they tend to hold tighter than most organizations. Well, on you their know, you top could also prospects. look at that the other way and say, what do the Rays know about Savali? Like, what like do they think they can unlock sure. another level? Because Savali has this year been good at suppressing barrels and homers, but his home run rate is like a half of what it was been for the other 350 innings of his career. So you could just say it's all been luck, you know? Like, and you that's know. part of like number two to me. Like that's kind of part of the like, is Savali better than, and, and so that could be the point. But I just think, also, and again, this is me, this isn't with the organization, Manzardo. but like with Manzardo in, in what we have a maybe a perception of Savali, I was like, could this trade have not been done with like Jonathan Aranda and another piece? And then you keep one of what is valued as a top prospect. So I keep coming back to what is the thing that has changed of concern with the team. Back in spring, there was already concerns about where they would play. Uh, if you guys remember, I was with Manzardo in February or March or whatever. Maybe it was November at this point. <laughs> I got to spend some time with him. And he had told me that the Rays at that time asked him to pick up a third base glove. Uh, because they were going to, you know, maybe try to find that raise flexibility, and even joked about how when he was getting drafted, there was talk of him being drafted as a second baseman. So they were already exploring what are what are other spots we I think can put him a, in. I think that's a big part of it because if you look at Aranda, like his glove is terrible, and he might end up at first base, but he's still playing second. Yeah, and there's flexibility you know? there. So I I think ultimately I agree, Kyle Manzardo. This is a great buy low for Dynasty because. The Rays got rid of him, and we're all kind of like, oh, okay. The stats look bad. The surface level stats look bad, but I think this, the underlying stats look great. I mean, a one twelve max yeah, exactly. and a forty nine percent hard hit like that doesn't that doesn't tell me his power is gone. High, highest line drive rate uh, of his career, lowest ground ball rate this year. Uh, fly ball rate is in it. And it's, it's well, I mean, it, I guess it's getting a little bit well-known now that some people are tweeting about it. Uh, I personally am not into doing it, but Commentator has been dealing with some stuff all year that I think could really weigh somebody down mentally. So you just take all those things into consideration and go, this is a buy of a prospect right now. But I just can't, there's, there's for really until like he gets the, hits the ground running, I have this little thing in the back of my head of like, Rays. What was the Rays? Like, what do they not Did, like? What was the thing that you, didn't fit the organization? Have you watched them a fair amount? Because uh, the one thing that worries me is that the, you know, like the fly ball rate last year in double A for Manzardo was 55%. Like, could he be a guy that has a hole at the top of the zone that minor league pitchers can't exploit that when he gets to the big leagues, his his strikeout rate is going to balloon? I think I mean, so. I, it, he it also has a come down, like, he has kind of like a come down approach where he can hit under a little bit. Um, I, I, I would probably have to, uh, guess what? I'm probably going to get a whole lot more now that he's going to be in Arizona because he was an East Coast guy and he's hurt right now. So he actually might come out here to complex level to kind of get settled, maybe rehab and then go up. But I kind of speculate with where you're going is I think he does attack the zone lower, the lower zone really well, that maybe uh, there's going to be that, you know, Nick Gonzalez-esque uh, thing we see with a lot of these that prospects. swinging strike rate, like he has a good bat to ball. Like it can't be that bad. Yeah, I don't. I don't think any of it's that bad. That's why I, I. If you look at his career, this is the anomaly. This is the anomaly year. Yes, it is at the highest level, but this is not even just like kind of an anomaly. 
it's aggressively. We're talking 320, right, 310, right, right, yeah. blah, blah, and then now down to 240. To me, that's not... Uh, I know some people will look at that and they'll be like, oh, this guy just was washed. figured I, out or something. I look at that and I go, oh, this is the learning opportunity. This is the first struggle that yeah. he's had. So I'm not ready to give up. That, that's why these are guys that I would target. Um, you know, we'll see what the Guardians do organizationally. I think he's probably primed to go to the AFL now with the missed time he's had moving organizations. They have, they can see him here. So, um, you know, he's not a guy this year, if that's the other thing. He's not an option, I think, in any circumstance. Obviously, they've got Bell and Naylor, but I think he will take it slow, probably hang at Complex, go at AFL. We'll see if he works at any spots like the Rays had talked to him about. Josh Bell, I believe, is a free agent, and then, you know, he'll probably be an early option next year, especially if whatever mysterious they concerns figure we out might Bell. have are gone. They got to get rid of Bell somehow. Yeah, well, I think he's a free agent after this year. No, he's got an option, and he'll probably yeah, pick it up. Player with, Ooh, it's his million. option. Ooh, dreaded. Bell's probably going to pick that up, but yeah. you know, maybe they can trade him and eat some of that money to get Monzardo up. But uh, on the Savali side, I would say this: uh, Savali stuff plus has on the curveball is the best in baseball, and second is Tyler Glass now. So they already have some experience, like b- buying a big curveball. The other thing that I've noticed is, um, you know, Savali's had a slider that. Re, that that is um, stuff less likes, but he doesn't use it. And I think the reason is it looks a lot like his curveball. So he's had a hard time differentiating like something that's between the cutter and the curveball. Um, and I would say that if there's any organization that could teach him like a gyro slider, or, like another type of slider, it would be the Rays. They've got they mm. they they taught Drew Rasmussen like all of his breaking balls, and he has like three breaking balls. You know what I mean? So like they they've had real success taking guys who have one good, really good breaking ball and adding m- multiple breaking balls to it. Do you think that's so a I would next say, year change though? I don't know. I mean, maybe. Yeah, it, 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 like Savali has thrown uh, the slider before, so it might just be as much as like, hey, try this grip. You know, this is Drew Rasmussen's gyro slider. Like, try that. Because that would be great. Because if he did, if he was cutter, gyro slider, curve, I think he would have a, a little bit more uh, to offer and, and maybe get those strikeouts up. I know? saw a because, lot of people wondering if like they were going to unlock him like Zach Eflin. I mean, that's kind of what the Rays do and kind of what you're alluding to. And that that was the big assumption in the people that were defending. Like, why would the you know why would they trade Manzardo? That it was they taught the some pretty thing. good split fingers too. And Savali yeah. has a split finger that doesn't rate that well. So maybe they maybe they'll just find a, a different alteration to his split finger. But I mean, this like take a guy with an elite pitch elite single pitch that's that also has command and has some other pitches i think that's what uh, teams love to acquire that's why i was like saying michael lorenzen is an interesting pickup because it's like he's got all these pitches what if you could tweak one of those pitches and he's even a little bit better you know i think there's a lot here i think savali having multiple years of control left that was a big part of why the return was so good 100 percent yeah, uh, I think is it overvalued though <laughs> because the sam mall <laughs> trade i think it was overvalued years of control <laughs> I don't know. I think that was just, here are two players that are probably not long-term big leaguers. Let's just trade them. They're very different in terms of why they we won't need be long-term one now big leaguers. You, you might need one later. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So I think that's a consideration. I do think it's interesting that, at least for now, with a few hours, six-ish hours before the deadline, Jonathan Aranda is still in the organization because I thought he was the most likely player to get moved. If he stays with the Rays through the deadline, this is a good thing for him in Tampa Bay, although it's still kind of crowded even without Manzardo because they extended Yandy Diaz that was the big surprise a few months back when they decided to make that commitment 
They've still got Curtis Mead. They got a guy. Yeah, Mead can move around a little bit. There's more potential defensive value with him than there is with Aranda, who seems to be just all bat, not much glove. But they still have Isak Paredes there too, who's kind of for me in that Aranda mold of you just hide him somewhere on the infield and and hope for the best. I wonder how all these pieces fit for the Rays long term, even with Manzaro out of the picture. I like this move for Cleveland. The player option for Josh Bell. That's not going to block Manzardo. I think when he's ready early next year, he's up one way or another. It's interesting to the Guardians. They're not playing Josh Naylor in the outfield anymore. I don't think they're going back to that to make room for Manzardo. And the last thing on Manzardo, the Rays told him to get that third baseman's glove. They didn't have him use it. Not in games anyway. It was entirely at first base yeah. that, at AAA. That that factors in, I think. I mean, just they have they have like two or three guys who can play first now. And, you know, it's a bit of a logjam there. They, 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 what do they do with Nate Lowe? Nate Lowe is a totally credible first baseman for a major league team, one of the best major league teams right now. And I don't think they're crying in their soup about it, you know? Yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> don't cry in your soup. It'll water it down. Uh, the Rays <laughs> option Taj Bradley to AAA in this uh, flurry of moves, too. And it's been a disappointing rookie season overall. I still like him a lot long term. The underlying numbers are still good. A 30% K rate, yeah, a sub-8% walk rate. Yeah, there's a home run problem that's been there since he arrived at AAA last year. So, yes, there are some things he still needs to work on, but there could be a, a good buy-low opportunity in keeper in Dynasty Leagues right now given these initial struggles with Bradley. So, you know, what is it that gives you confidence that Bradley will make the adjustments really, and really eventually unlock it all? Just a really good fastball. I like starting with a really good fastball. I think then you can... You can put things around it, and you can figure things out. I mean, yes, I just talked about how Aaron Zavali has a really good curveball, but I would say I would suggest to you that it took a while for him to figure out how to use that really good curveball. And if you look at Kyle Bradish, you know, there's a guy who has a an elite curveball and has, is putting the, the pieces around that. But that took a while too. And what do you think? Would you rather have the Kyle Bradish ceiling going forward or Taj Bradley? And I, I would put it in front of you that I'd rather have the Taj Bradley. Uh, Thing because he starts with a good fastball. What happened to in the? Remember when we were talking about the send down and then in the minors, every minor league game cutter was gone. They had scrapped the cutter. It was like, oh, this isn't working, and then it just came back. And it, yeah, I mean, he told I, me that he'd lost velo on the cutter, and so it wasn't so much that the okay. cutter wasn't working; it's that he had to get the velo back. And in fact, if you look at his velocity um, uh, on the cutter, as soon as he got the velocity back on his cutter, they brought him back to the big leagues. Okay, that's what it was. Yeah, just I mean, obviously you got to have something he can throw to right hand right handers, but you know, just relooking at it, that's the pitch that has gotten smacked around the most. It's a two ninety two expected batting average, and um, hitters are hitting over three hundred against that pitch. You know, yeah, but he's like, he was like in high school. He said he was in high school, you know, in twenty eighteen, and they changed everything about him. Yeah, so. You know, and he started only pitching in high school, so I could see him still adding another pitch. You know, in this off season or this season, and and you know, being even better later. He's a huge dynasty buy. I think that's the point. Like, yeah. we're just done this year. Even if he were to like come back up, maybe we just don't. We need to like wash our hands of all that. Next, for going into the off season, this sure is someone. I would What's the Rays rotation right now? Glass now, Savale. Eflin McClanahan. Eflin McClanahan. So you got your four. Who are we missing on? If I could look at depth charts here, we, we're, I feel like we're missing somebody. Are they going to play like an opener group? They got to um, chuck Adrian Sampson out there as a starter after getting him in a small trade. I mean, Chris. Did they trade Fleming? 
Yeah, uh, yeah, know. Fleming. That's the who I was thinking of. Is Fleming? They I could. Mean, uh, they they got like a guy. Like Mason Montgomery is a kid they have in the minors that they. I could... think they're just gonna manage Bradley's innings and bring him back up again. Yeah, maybe Shane Boz. Where is Shane? Shane Boz has been. I mean, that's a it guy that's fake gonna pass be an account that had Shane Boz traded for Lance Lynn, and, and I. No, I <laughs> no, really did. You get, you, you, know, get you didn't get tricked by that, did you? <laughs> no, but I, I was so mad for a second, and I was like, no, that's obviously Jeff Passan with like four ends. <laughs> Yeah, I, I guess Bradley could come back. I just don't know what the worth would be rest of season, um, and we don't know what other move is going to happen. But bottom line, I don't know be next how, much, how long to hold on to him and in, in, in non keepers. I guess I would yeah. give it another week because there's an off day coming up for the Rays on Thursday, and there's an off day coming up after that on Monday. So they didn't necessarily need Bradley. This is a way to have someone else on the roster for a stretch, and then possibly bring him back up. Clean at some up the point active after the roster deadline. during the trade deadline in case there's yep. a trade that you don't That's have to point. like do anything weird with Bradley. You don't have to demote him during the trade deadline. You demote him ahead of the de- trade deadline. You know who you're going to release if you do do a trade. You know it's not going to be Bradley. So like you know you've got you know I think it's just clearing the decks. I think he might be back soon. I mean but, he's, he's also he's a better, he's better than Josh Fleming. I have to say <laughs> yeah. Now. Well, the recent stretch though, the last seven starts. The reason I use that he's given up a homer in every one of those starts, including four against the Diamondbacks back on June twenty mm-hmm. seventh. Taj Bradley has a seven sixty seven ERA over his last yeah. seven starts. There's reason to be cautious when he comes back, even if you do want to roster him and take chances on him, stream him in certain matchups. I get all that, uh, but yeah. this could be a relatively short term demotion, depending on a bunch of things that are There's out some of his good control. Starts in there too. I mean. At Texas, nine strikeouts, two earned runs, and five innings. Oh, yeah. It's just a problem with volatility. Every single month this year, he he has uh, added to his ERA and whip. His whip and ERA has gotten worse every single month he has played. And every single month he's had at least one start that you're like, damn, that's a good start. (laughs) Yeah, but that's the inconsistencies. And it's like in August in fantasy, is that what you want? Is it worth Mm. it? I don't know. I don't. I don't know. It's perfect guy to stream or to have for for if you're out of it for ratios and need strikeouts. Yeah, if he's up against the A's, then you're just like, give me three Taj Bradleys. (laughs) Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? (laughs) You mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Not surprisingly, the Mariners have been active at this deadline. They made that huge trade with the Giants that Eno was upset about earlier. Uh, but they also made a deal with the Diamondbacks. The Diamondbacks get a closer in Paul Seawald. Three players go back to Seattle in this one. Dominic Canzone, Ryan Bliss, and Josh Rojas. He's a, a parenthetical mention if you're watching us on YouTube. Not because he's bad necessarily, but because he's not a prospect. Uh, Welsh, I got to go to you first on this one. You didn't seem thrilled that both Canzone and Bliss were in this package because Seawald is uh, one more year of control. 
be a free agent after 2024, a little older than some of the other relievers that could be moved at this deadline. But this really opens up a path to playing time for Canzone, who looked like an extra guy with the D-backs. Yeah, I had a lot of people that were surprised, you know, that were like, wait a minute, why aren't you happy about it? And I don't want to be, I try not to be like super like, oh my gosh, every prospect, why would you do this? But like this one, I just didn't love because it also, this felt like the cost for a David Bednar. And David Bednar, more control, better closer, I think. Um, but like getting both Bliss and Canzone in this trade, that was too much for me. And this felt like too much of a of an oversell on these players uh, to buy Paul Seawald. Because here's the other thing. The Diamondbacks were not a closer away. They're a, they're a sinking ship right now. Ryan they Nelson. Need, they need two more relievers. <laughs> they need two more relievers. They need at minimum another uh, piece in the rotation, and they need probably one more power impact bat. So to trade both of these guys, I didn't like Dominic Canzone. I have been preaching since the off season. He's had a stellar year in the minors and only 13% K percentage, 16 homers. He was in the lead for a decent amount of time hitting 354. He's come up to the majors. You've seen a little bit of some of the struggles, but he just has a really good bat path. He's had some clutch hits. He's got a homer under 20% K percentage. You can see where the average is going to grow. This is a major league outfielder, I think. And Ryan Bliss, I was telling you guys off air, um, my friend Dennis Sidler uh, did a, a signing with him at the Futures game and was like, who's the toughest hitter you faced? And without hesitation, he was like, Ryan Bliss. And he was like, Ryan Bliss was one of the toughest outs I've ever had to deal with because his bat is always on the ball, right? When you think you have him, you don't. Um, he hit 400 at double A going, before going to the Futures game, stole 30 bases with 12 homers, and then he got brought up to triple A. He struggled a little bit. This is another guy, sub 20K percentage. He's smaller, but he's explosive. I think there's five tools in there. So you traded like f two five toolish players, and then Josh Rojas, whatever, for Paul Seawald, who's got one more year of control. I think it's a great guy to have, but it felt like an overpay. And I just wish one of those guys was in there because I think both of these players can be productive for this team. I think Ryan Bliss can move over and play second for this team. I mean, Colton Wong hasn't worked. And like you said, with Kelnick out and them potentially moving Tasker Hernandez, Canzone's going to be able to go the rest of the year. So I think uh, both of these guys are great add buys, however you want to consider it, for the rest of the year. I think Canzone is going to be sneaky. I would be looking to pick him up in deeper formats, and Ryan Bliss will probably get some run next year. So I thought it was a little bit of a fleece job, but I think it had to do with the market price, and uh, the market price was trading you know, two solid close to the major prospects for one extra year of Seawald. See, I, I think that it's possible the market is overvaluing years of control at this point. Like, I, I'm yeah. trying to make this case. I, I know the mole, uh, Sam Mole uh, data point is not a very strong one. But uh, uh, but in terms of the Aaron Savali one, like, that's a pretty good prospect for, for Aaron Savali. And we're talking about two years. And then in this one, I think Canzone alone uh, makes this deal worth it for the Mariners, uh, you know, in terms of one extra year of control and two months of Paul Seawald, like, it's not, we're not talking two years, not talking three years, just one extra year control and you get Dominican zone. The one thing I would say is uh, it seems to me like the Mariners have a type and that you could maybe take advantage of that type in conversations with them. And if you've got a player who controls the zone and, and walks, right, 
but does not hit the ball hard, then go shopping, go go talk to Jerry Depoto because he has now made some mistakes. I think Rojas is not an addition to this trade. Uh, to, to prove this almost, that they replaced Rojas with Jace Peterson a, f- a second later, and I don't think they took a step back in that role or whatever it is, you know? And then uh, the secondly, uh, Bliss gives me a, a little bit of that same uh, feeling. He's hit a ball. The hardest he's hit a ball is 108 in AAA, 20% hard hit rate. And outside of this year at uh, AA, Bliss has had uh, poor ISOs. And I, and and the other mistake they've made uh, that I think is in this mold is the Abraham Toro. So, you know, I, I feel like there's a little bit of a, a, a trend emerging there where it's like, oh, does he have a 10% walk rate, an 18% strikeout rate, and a league average ISO? Go you don't talk to Jerry DePoto. Uh, but uh, the one that stands out for me that keeps me from saying I don't like this trade is Canzone, man. Yeah. Uh, I mean, he hit a ball 113 in the minors. Uh, he's hit uh, in the majors. He's hit balls hard, good hard hit rates. And uh, those are those are better than 18% strikeout rates. He's got 13 and a 10 and double A. And so I think uh, Canzone is the guy I'd be most excited about in this deal. And what do the Mariners need? They need to lengthen their lineup, and they can use it anywhere, and they need a replacement for Teoscar Hernandez. So, and, man, you know, if Canzone, Canzone gets playing time the rest of the year, too, I think he's just a sneaky pickup. He's just a sneaky pickup. I mean, maybe they're going to bat him 7 or 8, but I don't know. Depending on how they bust out this roster at the trade deadline there not only just opportunities but like maybe even moving up in the order type opportunities could be out there so he's just he's someone to really keep an eye on and how well help me manage my team here i've got a a a 12 team uh a dynasty where we've got a minor league list i've got some minor league stashes but um i've got uh i need to rebuild a little bit uh i'm in sixth place i'm in the playoffs but uh not doing that great i have austin hayes uh, mm, LFRF and Alec Thomas CF um, and Jorge Polanco I just picked up after um, I made a trade would you drop any of those guys for Canzone? I would drop, I would drop Thomas for Canzone uh, I actually kind of thought that the Diamondbacks might consider moving Thomas would have been, which would have been one piece to help um, to help Canzone get more playing time with the Diamondbacks because there was a rumor that Thomas uh, was someone the Tigers really liked, and the Diamondbacks clearly needed to, to look at pitching in Eduardo or Michael Lorenzen. And uh, I thought Thomas would be going there. But I, I though they, they, there's some similarities. Like Alec Thomas, we've seen how bad that game has gotten, even though he can put up some big hard hit stuff. I would rather have Canzone, especially now Last in month, Seattle. 273, 784 OPS, three homers and a stolen base for Alec Thomas. Yeah, but I mean, also up and down in the minors, they let Dominic Fletcher, they let Canzone have time. It, Alec Thomas's calling card is the defense. Uh, he definitely can put some offensive numbers up, but I would bet, I think Canzone's offense is already above Alec Thomas's. Thomas will just always have playing time because he's like a gold glove type of defender. But um, How about yeah, you? that's just me. I see. I think, I think the Thomas drop would be justified. I think this is this speaks to the, the stark contrast between fantasy value and real life value. Yeah. I think yeah. if you, if you consider something like the Welsh was saying, where you'd say, oh, let's um, let's trade out Thomas in a big league deal, that he's probably much more valuable from a big league perspective much in the more. eyes of all GMs, every, most GMs. I, I think, I think we get caught up in that sometimes, but. 
it's keeper and dynasty. Like that's the other difference is Canzone gets a shorter window to prove he's a good big league hitter than Alec Thomas does because of his defense. That's where the defensive context matters so much. So, you know, Canzone, Canzone's realistic runway to be a regular is probably these two months plus next season and maybe some of 2025. Is that a fair statement to make given his age and well, sometimes corner outfield limitations? A short runway because you're just like, okay, then I can drop him. <laughs> you know, like, yeah, it, it, can it's like the get streaming. off the potty, dude. <laughs> it's the streaming thing, whether it's like for pitchers or you play in fantasy football, like having a guy that you can just kind of interchange. Like if once you sometimes you'd freeing yourself of having players that you're more comfortable interchanging in, it can help you find those diamond in the roughs than being like, man, I just can't get rid of this guy and I can't get rid of that guy. Like I just don't think Alec at this point is someone that's like a I'm must. Surprised hold. neither of you said Austin Hayes. I think Hayes has shown skills, underlying skills this year, similar to what he did two years ago, right? The barrel rate's close to 10% again. Orioles lineup's mm-hmm. good lineup. There's there's a lot to still like there. So if there's a drop there for me, it is Thomas for all of mm-hmm. these reasons. Thomas kind of points me back to a question that we've kicked around on a few different occasions on this show, and it relates to what we talked about yesterday with Luis Angel Acuna going to the Mets. How much power should we project for young age to level players in the upper levels of the minors who aren't showing it in games yet. Yeah. You know, like it's supposed to be there. It's there in the scouting reports. It's there because of BP. It's there because of max EVs, all the reasons it can be future power. Sure. That's fine. But how much should you realistically expect? And then timing, of course, is everything too. players. They don't, they don't develop all in the same timetable. So you have that as a complicating factor, but I don't know, but I, I I keep going back to something you said yesterday, you know, with with Ozzy Albies, he didn't show a ton of power coming through the system, but I'm going to continue to assume the underlying numbers of contact quality weren't off the charts good for Albies, given body type, given been, that he's a switch hitter, given all that stuff, and what he did in the big leagues, right? Yeah, we wouldn't have looked at his minor league hard hit data if we had it back then and said, no, 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 it's going to come. Here's the proof. Here's why you should believe in Ozzy Albies. So whether it's Acuna or other prospects who are supposed to have power and don't, what should we be doing and projecting for players like this? And Alec Thomas is part of this conversation too, where maybe the glove carries the playing time for the next three years, and we've done this with Kim Ryan Hayes for a while. Hey, great glove. There should be power there. It hasn't happened yet. What do you do when these guys are in double A and you're trying to make trades in your fantasy league or trying to assess the moves your team is making and trying to understand what they're really getting back in the return? I think it's hard, man. I, you know, I look at uh, I look at ground ball rates. If it's like consistently 60 percent, then I think that's that's a big ding into future power. And with uh, Acuna, yeah, he started out at 55 percent of rookie ball, but he's already got it to 48, 49 in, in the last two years in double A. So I think Acuna can add some power but it is funny his brother said ronald Acuna jr said uh he's more refined than i was at 21 yeah. um no he wasn't no he isn't dude <laughs> do you not remember ronald Acuna jr you went 40 40 basically in 21 <laughs> in the big leagues <laughs> i don't know what you mean by more refined <laughs> yeah i think he knows on it like that's a really tough question because there's also the like not numbers part of my brain that like you know like bodies, I go out maybe yeah like I go out and like I watch these guys and sometimes it'll be like the swing you can see where like they can a, a certain type of body that doesn't look like it would be power could generate 
just barreling, you know, like the Lars Newpark conversation we have, like there are guys that have these swings. Uh, sometimes it's just to bat speed. And if you well, can get Carol, Carol doesn't look like, like you wouldn't look at Carol and no. say that guy's going to have, a he's optimized. That, that's also something like in the minors, if you were around him and you just learned like the competitive nature, um, something I always liken to as far as his hit tool was that I want to say he took players under his wing, but like when he was recovering every off season and not just recovering, but like the multiple springs, I would hear about how a player worked with Carol and Carol, like yeah. Carol was helping Christian Robinson refine his swing. It was, I definitely get up. that vibe just watching him on the field. Like yeah, he's and he he's like hype. a leader. He, like he is a lead, and a he leader. is a leader, and and he yeah. did that with lots of players. So like that's an intangible that I can't put on there. So I have some of those things in my head that doesn't help anybody, but like things I would look for. I, I also look for that high A to double A batting average dip where you start to see maybe more pull, and that shows oh maybe this guy is now going through the I'm trying to utilize my contact for power. I do pay attention to doubles as well. Uh, as stupid as it is, like. You know, there's a lot of missed homers in especially like complex baseball that uh, high doubles numbers with really good contact might be uh, something you can look for uh, future power. When you pair that with like whenever you can get hard hit, whenever you can get low ground ball rates, those are some of the things. But I, I, I do unfortunately think they're just intangibles that we can't just look at on like fan graphs that are going to be like, oh, this is how you determine. There are definitely trends that'll get us there, but there are just some guys and some things that... You got to hope, you know, there are people with eyes on the players that are going to try to preach to you. You know, it doesn't always work. Like Robert Hassel was a guy that was billed I'm, as I'm looking the at T.J. Abrams minor league numbers, you know, and, you know, at some point this year, I thought this guy's never going to hit for power. Yeah. And, and see, I've seen him hit for power, even in complex levels. I've seen the contact. I saw easy power. His very first pro at bat, I was there, Peoria, and he smashed a homer over the bullpen. And it was like. From day one, that skinny kid, I saw the easy power, so I could never get his power out of my head. But he also has never uh, hit fifty percent ground balls except for his rookie season in the big yeah. leagues. And that, that's where you can start to put some of those trends together. I, it'd be awesome if there was a perfect formula for it, but there are definitely some awesome tools, like Ano's talking about, that you can pay attention to, whether it's ground ball rates. Sometimes Hassel has it has not worked out for Hassel. No, but, but though my point was like Hassel was a guy that was billed as like a high high end contact player. He had some real like bat speed aggression in his bat, like kind of like an upper stance. He would really attack the ball. He'd hit some doubles. That was a guy that was like, oh, well, if he builds on that body, if he continues to mature in that body, and this bat keeps going, he's going to turn this into power. His body has never matured. He's been nothing but injured. And then he also was traded, uh, you know, between organizations into an organization that I don't know what their track record. I don't know if it's a positive track record of like developing hitters. And so everything has fallen balls. apart. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. To ground ball, right? Yeah. It, it's interesting when you think about the Nationals. It's like, well, Bryce Harper was one one. Bryce Harper was Bryce Harper out of the box. They didn't fix him. Juan Soto. Like, how much player development credit do you give the Nats? They found him, but did they make Juan Soto he was the hitter so that he is? So good at the lower levels, like from day one too. Yeah. So like. Anthony Rendon, you know, super polished college bat. He was great for them for a long time. So you, you, you don't necessarily have young players that they've they bought had, all their pitchers. They've come through yeah. with the hitting side where you're like, oh yeah, they they develop hitters well. I think it's a very fair question to ask. I mean, I think given some of the context, the trade, the injuries, the the need for further development physically, that's a lot of things with Robert Hassel that could still change. I mean, you're talking about actual keeper and dynasty by lows. 
it seems like this is a fantastic time to buy if you believe in those core skills being good enough and if you believe in the org. But I think if you're number scouting especially, the concern you'd have is that the Ks have gone up yeah. and the ground ball rate's still there, right? You're not seeing some underlying tweaks that are like, well, he's he's swinging and missing more, but he's hitting the ball in the air more. You, you can't even find a real trade-off that you like in the adjustments he's made since reaching double A. The best thing about Robert Hassel is that he's really young for the level. That's it. Yeah, I mean, and to your point, like, you would also love for them to be in an org that can get really hands-on because this is not working. I'm with you. Like, this is a guy I defended for a long time. It's just getting worse, it feels like. So there's not much to buy. And then the Nationals, the Nationals, their scouting department is essentially buying what other teams have done. Like, that's what they do. Like, their their department is like, who's doing good at other te- with other teams? Okay, let's buy that player. It's not necessarily their own development. So I don't trust, and that's not maybe that's an overarching thing, but like, I just don't trust that there is something implemented into fixing him. A further question, which we don't probably have time for, was something we all had off air, was how much are any of these organizations <laughs> in the minor leagues really hyper-focused on the players to, to get plans of action when there's only maybe a handful, if not less than a handful, of players that are really hyper-focused on the development of prospects? When you see a guy that you've invested in like that with Robert Hassel, there should be a plan of action to fix let's do something you know uh Eno's uh one point location spot with a pitcher for let's fix some stuff and I don't what is I don't know what that looks like with Robert Hassel they haven't done it so that that doesn't lead me to have a whole lot of trust that someone like that is going to rebuild it this has turned into a different thing from power but um it's unfortunate but it, it's getting messier and those are some of the stats you can look at for trends as k's are going up ground ball rates bad you know those are things that are telling us a really bad story that has continued over year and year and level and level i got a question for y'all i uh, just tried to read this really quickly but uh since last wednesday it looks like 16 let's just call it 15 i don't know if i counted right 15 prospects have been traded Okay. Kyle Glazer has a piece today on Baseball America saying that uh, one in four prospects in, in about the last uh, five to seven years, uh, one in four prospects uh, traded the deadline makes the major leagues and puts up a positive war over at least two seasons. So that's a pretty low bar. So who are your four prospects that you would Ooh. like to have out of this? Out of this deadline, so out of everyone who's Canzone been traded so far. One. So. Yeah, so we got Canzone, Bliss, Manzardo. Who are um, Tacoa, I mean, Acuna, Acuna. Okay. Is there, are there any Bush. hard choices beyond that? Is it just that's is that the obvious four? Who's I think who it's Acuna, Manzardo, Bliss, and Canzone. Is it immediately what jumps out to me? Am I missing another? I don't remember the other prospects besides like Segesi, Roby. Who else? Yeah. Do we have? Sem Rebersa. Nope. Adam Kloffenstein. Nelson Velasquez, Marco Maybe. Vargas. People were a little excited about Marco Justin Vargas Jarvis. when that, when that uh, David Robertson thing happened. I mean, I think right the difference between getting to the big leagues but then staying up for two years and having a positive impact is is pretty significant. Uh, Nelson Velasquez, there's some tools jo- and there. Justin Jarvis. Mm. I mean, there there are some interesting names, but if like if the idea of this is we only get four names that will Nick succeed. Nastrini? Nick Nestrini could be one of those, but if you have to bet that only four based on this work is going to yeah. go, I don't, I don't think it's remotely close that it's those four. It's not to say that Nestrini, also that it could, 
This could be a trade deadline, by Edgar the way, Carrero. that breaks that trend. Oh, Edgar Carrero is a catcher. I'm putting him in over Ryan Bliss. Edgar Carrero, yeah, that's, that's because catchers just you know catchers get chances. <laughs> top, yeah, top 100 prospect that's in there. I think that's my true. picks would be Manzardo, Acuna, Canzone, and Tacoa Roby. Ooh, you like Roby, huh? Roby, I I didn't didn't know much about him until he was traded, but reading some of the stuff Eric Longenhagen has about him on Fangraphs, I mean, this is a guy with lots of pitches and command who, if you're number scouting on the ratios, you're probably not on him yet, but if you read the scouting reports, you're going to be really excited about what he might be able to do. I think there's a really good chance he's a, a quality big league starter based on what everyone's starting to see from him in the upper levels of that system. Those he's, gained, he's gained some muscle, physical muscle too. I've seen him for a couple of years, and I told you guys off air. I was at Rangers, the Rangers facility at the deadline, and Roby was there. He wasn't, you know, at Double uh, A or anything. He was there throwing a session, probably for scouts in some capacity, and uh, he was there throwing. And he looks like he's, you know, added probably like 15 pounds of muscle from where he was in the last year. Just weight in general, just a bigger, bigger-ish guy. Uh, with a yeah big fastball and some good secondary. I was a little shocked by the grades. The grades are, uh, those are some intensely good grades that even I wasn't um, locked into, nor nor had I saw, yeah. but a 70 grade curveball. 60 fastball, 70 curveball, 55 slider, 55 changeup, 55 command on the futures for Roby. Yeah, and then what I really like is that swing strike rate. That has stayed high, and I like it. I mean, good control, too. Good control numbers. Uh, not a gross home run rate so far. His first taste of double A. I'm wondering with the innings he's thrown this year, if the Cardinals might send him to the fall league. Yeah, I think that's a, the very likely only 40. He, he had 104 last year, so he wants to get over that this year. Yeah, very, very likely. This is the time of year. I know a lot of people don't care, but you should care to pay attention to the players that gets into the fall league, uh, not just because I'm here and I talk about them, but uh, and Nina will be here, and DVR, maybe. maybe yeah, I don't I'm going. Okay. It's booked. Okay. Yes, yes. Okay, sweet. I'm back. But like, you, you want to pay attention this time of year because guys that have missed significant playing time, those are the players that are going to pop up. And that is one of the reasons these guys get sent. But also that main reason is to build up the finishing school. And, you know, I think you could start to, like, I've already speculated. A guy like Ricky Tiedemann seems like a lock for the time he's missed. And Tacoa Roby would be another one of those because if you really want to build back up and if he's going to be close for this organization to start pushing up, um, uh, for the Cardinals, then you know you got to you got to build off or get back to that hundred innings. So maybe he is like an aggressive starter in the AFL, and then you could get him and build him back up to eighty or ninety of the innings that um, you know still a little bit less than the year before. But yeah, prime I think, and and this will be great for all of us to hyper focus. That's actually a sneaky one too if we can get eyes on him more in a setting like that because the service stats look so stinky. You know, they're great reports, but the service stats are not good. So we got to really see what this guy is all about for, um, you know, for like multiple starts. I'll, I'll send this uh, to the Google Doc, but uh, I have, I think, uh, you know, our conversation is convincing me pretty easily that I have Roby over Justin Jarvis, who went to the Mets in the Mark Hanna deal. And that makes sense. I mean, just given the relative quality of the players that were changing hands, the major league players that they were traded for, you know, you can almost target, you almost tag them to that. But, um, you know, Mark Hanna's, you know, what, almost a platoon, short side platoon, maybe a little bit bigger, you know, uh, rental outfielder. So um, I would say that um, the swing strike rates on Roby 
have been consistently better than Jarvis. Jarvis had a little pop-up uh, year this year in AA where he finally he kind of pushed the swing strike rate into a better territory and, and did strike out 28.6% of the batters he saw. Uh, Jarvis did. I don't know if the stuff has uh, receded at all in AAA, but you know, despite people being pretty excited about uh, his stuff, the stuff plus uh, says he's got a, a 102 uh, stuff plus fastball and then the slider is about average, and the curve is below average. So um, that's just what the model says. It does, it's not gospel or anything, but you also look at Jarvis everywhere other than 23 AA this year, and he does not impress. Do you guys have any uh, deeper sleepers that you see in the other deals that have been done? I think Jose Quas came up on the Friday episode last week because we were talking about possible Royals closers if they made a few moves at the deadline, and one of those was you know, a possible Scott Barlow deal, which could still happen. But looking up and down that list, whether it's guys that are far away or maybe or guys that got pushed out in one of these deals, is there anybody else you're keeping your eye on, even though we didn't pick them for our very likely-to-be-impact big league players group? Uh, I mean, I'd say someone that I liked who was out here was Johnny Severino. I mean, this is not going to qualify to anybody trying to get production now. Uh, to any of those players. But Johnny Severino was a complex of a guy with the Brewers who got traded to the Pirates. Uh, hitting 250, five homers, seven stolen bases so far. Uh, he's hitting 250 with the Complex Pirates, and he hit 250 with the ACL Brewers. So that has continued. He's already hit his first homer. Uh, really good contact. That is actually a pretty talented Brewers team that is out here right now. Uh, Baez, is, I think Juan Baez has been kind of a monster out here. And they've got their rookies that are out here, and Severino ended up getting moved in that Carlos Santana trade. And just from seeing him, that's that was someone that jumped out to me immediately as like, oh, this was actually a really good get. Outside of Marco Vargas, who's another one of those. I'm not as high as some of the other people who've talked about him, but like the there's a huge ceiling. There's a huge ceiling with him. Makes a ton of contact. Um, there's a there's a good offensive profile that's sitting in there, and I thought that was a sneaky pick that the Mets got. But both of these players are like complex level players that are probably four years away. So they're like eighteen, right? Yeah. So like in you know Otno leagues that like we're playing in, like they're not guys yeah. I'm probably prioritizing to pick up. But like open world dynasties where you've got big minor league systems, those are players that I'm I'm definitely keeping an eye on right now. Uh, I, uh, lover of old dudes and uh, post-hype and uh, non-prospects, will give you an old dude non-prospect. And the comp for me is Tay Oscar Hernandez. Oh, okay. Nelson Who is Velasquez, it? baby. I was going to say, you we like Nelson, Nelson Velasquez. Velasquez? Yeah. Okay. Nelson Velasquez is a right-hander who strikes out too much. He's aggressive, but he does have a sense of the zone. He's going to a team that I think has to give him a shot, dude. I mean, what what are you really getting out of Drew Waters and Kyle Isbell, you know? Give Nelson Velasquez a shot against righties. Let him play. And, you know, the quality of contact is really, really good. And I think he can be one of those guys who hits his way to like a 330 BABIP to push his batting average into like 240 and get his OBP over 300 and pair that with good slugging, and he could be a guy that uh, hits, you know, 240 with 25 homers and five to 10 stolen bases. I think if they give him all the time, and that he might not be the greatest real life player because his OBP is never going to be plus, 
but his defense isn't bad, and uh, I think they could get like a four-year run out of him with uh, some some good numbers. Yeah, I think uh, the the problem for the Royals is deciding how long you wait on someone like Waters or even Isbell. And I think in the case of Waters, they've only they've only seen a half season's worth of plate appearances. I think they're going to give him more chances to whittle away at that K rate and, let and that turn those tools in center, into more production. You know, just do that in center. Yeah. Yeah, I think that makes sense. Kyle Isbell, I mean, we've seen basically a full season's worth of plate appearances from him. Not really a good barreler. Does have a nice hard hit rate, so maybe there's still a little something there, but mm. I don't know. I, I've, I've lost a little bit of faith there, especially because he's 26 already. So you're starting to get to that point where if it hasn't happened yet, when is it really going to happen? Looks like there's another trade in the works right now. Padres adding Rich Hill and G-Man Choi in a deal with the Pirates. Haven't seen a return nice. on that yet, but I believe it was Jeff <laughs> Passan on that first. <laughs> now, is this AJ Pollock level? Is this AJ Pollock level? <laughs> <Yeah. you know? laughs> is this a waiver claim? That's a, that's not a trade, Rich Hill? What are you talking you know about? That meme with the butterfly? Is this a waiver claim? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, if Rich Hill is not in that rotation in Pittsburgh, that means someone younger Ooh, probably is. So Jared Jones? Could it be it's Jared be Jones? Ortiz again, it? It'd be exciting if it was Jared Jones. I and I don't I don't hate Luis Ortiz. Maybe there's room probably for probably Luis Ortiz for the seventh time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Osvaldo Bito still in that rotation right now too, so uh, opportunities. Damn head. Yeah, what can you do? I wonder what that return is going to be. It's going to be light, but you never know. It could be some kind of young player. It could be like another Johnny Severino type where you just get somebody who's far, far away. Complex level. I mean, they're, they're actually the complex level guys. There's a couple really interesting ones out here. Um, I haven't mentioned this guy yet. I wouldn't be shocked if he was in this trade, but uh, Romeo Sanabria is 20. He's like, he's a little, he's too old to be here. He was a college guy, but he is absolutely mashing here in complex. He puts up big, big hard hit numbers. He's near the top of power. Uh, it's a little too high age to level, but I've just watched him a ton. They, they have, they have a, I mean, we could speculate and people will be listening to this and already know what it is, but they got quite a few players at the complex that weren't even just drafted from Sanabria to uh, Elaine Camus. Um, to uh, Yendry Rojas. There's quite a few players that, the, the, even though they're not top-heavy anymore, they're not even close to top-heavy, the Padres, the lower levels, they've got guys that I think teams would want to speculate on. And the Pirates are not going to get a, this isn't going to be a, a big, if anything, return for Rich Hill. Well, wouldn't the Jim Pirates Joy. maybe want something closer? Like, what if it was uh, yeah, betting on super short sample stuff plus numbers on Jackson Wolf? I was just about to say, like, scenario. Jackson Wolf is where you were going to go with that, yeah. Well, just, you know, somebody who, like, you know, they need they need pitching. They, they're trying to push a timeline that has to come in the next two, two, three, three years, I feel like. So I don't know if they necessarily want, you know, like a 17-year-old, 18-year-old. Yeah, that might be the case. It probably is the case, if we're being honest. I know this player does not meet Eno's criteria of a pitcher with a good foundation, but Sem Reversa, another player acquired by the Cardinals, he was part of the Jordan Hicks deal. They got him from the Blue Jays. He's just 21. He's got a couple of good pitches by scouting report, the curveball and the changeup. Lots of swinging strikes. 40-45 fastball? Yeah, the problem is that both the fastball and the cutter are the, the low-grade pitches, but it looks like he's got the ability to miss some bats. Good swing strike rate numbers, very young for the level so far. I'm curious to see if the Cardinals can find a way to help fix that fastball or if they'll just tuck him into the back of that rotation a year or two from now. 
Yeah, maybe maybe there's something uh, the Toronto hasn't tried. Although I will take Toronto pitching development over St. Louis pitching development, a hundred percent. Yeah, Ooh, is that a hot uh, take? I feel like I feel like that might is that hot take ish, or is that well known? I don't know. I feel like the Cardinals have. I guess it, recent history on the pitching development has been a little bit eh, but like their overall development has just gotten extra credit. I feel like for, well, I mean, their forever. general manager just came out and said that we have to rethink how we acquire and develop pitchers and yeah. think more about swinging strike rate or, you know, getting whiffs. And uh, so I think like <laughs> smart, you know, Toronto has already made that decision. <laughs> this is true. Ooh, it looks like the Jays could be getting Paul DeYoung too. Yeah. There's a trade yeah, rumor out there right now. So the says, hurt. yeah, well, that actually also might speak much worse news to how bad that injury is. But, uh, yeah, the it looks like they're in advanced talks, uh, Blue Jays and Cardinals right now. Yeah, that has some implications on uh, a possible auto-new trade that Welsh and I were going to make, too. So that's the other, much less important than Ooh, the health of Bo Bichette. But I forgot about that. Bichette. Yeah, well, I think that like the young was somebody that I you know ticketed for uh, the Giants, but I think you know with the how much they're playing Marco Luciano, he's mostly played every game I think since he's been up. I think so, and he got yeah. batting average up too. I mean, I'm such a like I've been such a hater about all of it, but he's doing some business right now, and you know this is a team that is in contention, and they are playing him every day. It does speak it does speak very well to him. Uh, but yeah, it doesn't look like that's going to be the market there. And I, I, I don't remember if you said it. I feel like the Giants and Tim Anderson would have just made sense. I think it's a Giants... good idea. I mean, because Tim Anderson is not at all like the rest of the Giants. And I know that's weird. It's like, well, wouldn't the Giants have a type and go for that type? Yes, but they have a lot of those types. You know, in terms of guys who control the zone and hit the ball decently hard. And like, you know what I mean? Like Tim Anderson is like not that right now. He hit his first homer of the year. But what about a guy who's like super fast and has like swagger and like could just get super hot and just be a totally different player than anybody else on the team? Like, is that not useful? Yeah. I, I And also uh, Kyle uh, Harrison, just a random thing, pitched last night here in Complex. Happened to be lots of scouts out here in Complex. Uh, mm-hmm. Just saying there might be. I think that's a Justin Verlander. Like if they get Justin Verlander, Kyle yeah. Harrison is going. By I the know. way, just reported. Jackson Wolf is the main prospect going to the party. Ah, so there you go. Yeah, ah, just reported. Nailed it. Nailed it. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. We talked about perfect. Jackson Wolf a couple weeks ago after that debut. It's a it's a different profile. The stuff numbers pop, but it, it you know you watch it and you're like I don't Six, know is seven. this really gonna work? Yeah, and yeah, my kids were even like he doesn't throw the ball hard. I'm like no, no, he doesn't. <laughs> The Little League kids are, are talking <laughs> crap about Jackson Wolf's Vila. Yeah, he's in the show, so yeah, good for him. Uh, one mailbag question we can squeeze in unless another trade breaks here in the next uh, couple of minutes. But this is a question from Captain Solo. Fantastic name. Captain Solo wants to know what's the best way to parse through hype of new draft picks versus older prospects when drafting for a 10-round 16-team contracts dynasty league. If I'm looking at Arjun Damala or Nizan Zantello, how do I compare 15-plus overall pick success development to an older 24, 25-year-old in the early rounds? I'm looking at the Dodgers system with River Ryan or Kyle Hurt, who's insane canine in Tulsa, is very exciting, but his fan graphs future value is still around 40. So I'm not sure whether to bite into potential development success stories or to go after higher ceilings out of this year's draft or when to switch over from one to the other. So... What's the move here, Welsh? What's your what's your preferred way to go when you're looking at the young guys who are really far away that have just entered the pool versus some of the guys that have taken a step in the, the later stages 
of the minor leagues at an advanced age. Uh, well, I mean, first thing I just want to point out, like he was like, should I take the young hitters or should I take the old pitchers? And so you kind of threw out two completely different type of uh, draft products. So need, you could obviously go need, but I'm going to probably always tell you, like, I want the upside in the prospect game. Like I think, you can have a really bad hit rate of long-term production when you just try to trace pro- chase proximity only. I'm not saying it doesn't work. Plenty of times when you go for more proximity guys over long-term, you can get some short-term returns, but the amount of like sustainability, I think gets put into question. So like the other thing is first-year player, I think no one un- understands how to value them right now. I actually just did a for, uh, a total midseason prospect mock. We're going 20 rounds with um, uh, Eric Cross and his crew at the Tool Shed. And I hate doing these sometimes because I get a lot of these first-year player because I think there's two good values. I got Nolan Chanel with the Angels in the sixth round, and there's 14 teams. So think about that. And he's already at double A, so that was almost a proximity thing, but I was playing for talent. I got... Dylan Head, uh, who's first round pick with the Padres in like the 14th round. Uh, I took, you know, quite a few of these players. Chase Davis, I took in the fifth or sixth round who went to the Cardinals because I think the upside is immense and I don't think people quite understand some of the valuations of it. So turn that back. The two players he said, I'm not like enamored with. Arjun Namala is pretty raw, huge power. Um, but I think I would still go with the upside over those pitchers. I just might personally have some different names on first year player. I've already ranked a whole bunch of them, but like I love Gino Grover, who the Diamondbacks took, who put up huge hard hit numbers in college this past year, like average EVs of 95, um, just big numbers. He's a big hard hit guy. I like him more than other people. Um, George Lombard, who went to the Yankees. So I'm just bringing it back to say that like these guys, these these high end first round talents and stuff in first year player are much more my priority than guys like um, Hurt or I'm trying to remember who the other guy that River Ryan, River Ryan, River Ryan. Like River Ryan's fine, but you know I think people did the same chase with like uh, Grove and my and Stone this year, and that's kind of blown up. I I want the I want to play the upside. I, I I will say that if uh, if the the other names were hitters, I might be uh, a little bit more into it. Maybe, um, yeah, me too. And and uh, just to put my number nerd hat on, um, right now I'm just looking at a piece uh, from the Journal of Sports Analytics uh, from 2022, so it's pretty recent, um, and it's looking at um, you know how uh, teams did in the first round. Uh, and there's a really big drop off after the 15th pick. So in terms of career war per uh, per pick, you know, picks one through five in the draft, it's like over 10. So yummy, you know, anybody who went, you know, one through five in the draft this year should be immediately a top prospect. Walker Jensen, Jenkins, White Langford, Max Clark. Yes, right. Those guys are immediate top prospects. Mm-hmm. Uh, pick six to ten that gets down below ten career war, uh, so that's already a, a bit of a drop off. Eleven to fifteen, you get down to sort of five six. By the time you get to pick sixteen, you're already close to zero. Um, so uh, I think you know Arjun Namala. I know it's, it seems like a sort of a random number or whatever, but when you're at twenty, uh, I just I don't I think those are shots in the dark. And if you like, uh, you know, Welsh's shot in the dark better than Arjun Namella, then do that. 
uh, because I think you at this point you're 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 it, it, you could go any you could get take Dylan Head he he looked good the other day or Lombard yeah so uh, you know you know take a take a shot if you want but I would take if I was looking at a a, a top 100 prospect list that came out before the draft I would take most people in the top 100 especially bats over like a 22nd pick in the draft this year. You, Welsh, you feeling me on that? I yeah, I think I can't. I'm not quite with like the exact pick because like, like where's Jacob, Lombard for you? Among, yeah, among so Lombard in my first year player ranks, I have him at was it 16, 17, 19. I have met 19. Yeah, but if you that. had to mush that together with your like top 100 prospects, yeah. So that's what I was going to say. Is the only thing I wanted to point out is like Jacob Wilson was taken six. I'm not taking not Wilson in the top him. ten. No, because he's yeah. slow. I love him. I love him. nicest kid I've ever met. Um, great contact numbers, but he's slow and he doesn't have any power. So that's that's why like I just am like the number thing I'm pushing back on. But to your point, how many players in do I have in the actual top 100? I've got 11 of the first year players there inside my top 100, and I have a couple pitchers that other people might not have. Rhett Louder with the Reds. I love yeah. Noble Meyer, and I, I might not players. take. Chase Dollander, even though he was the ninth pick in the draft, I might yeah, not I take him over one hundred picks. So yeah, and I don't have hard until twenty. So it's not a hard and fast rule. But if you're talking about a top, you know, top ten bat, then I'm super excited. If you're talking about a top fifteen bat, I'm Less. kind of excited. If you're talking about a, you know, after fifteen, like fifteen to thirty first round bat, I'm probably looking, you know, somewhere else on a top one hundred list. You know, you know, yeah. that sort of sorting. Yeah, yeah, I, I get what you're saying. I think for me, there's one characteristic that I'm a little more hesitant to draft in a first-year player draft, and it's legitimate questions about the hit tool, and that seems to be part of the package right now with Namala. Like he's so yeah, young that yeah. he could get a lot better, but he's got it. Have you seen it? He's got a cricket swing. I yeah, he was a cricket player. Yeah, he, he yeah. Like grew up playing cricket. So it's like he's this got weird. Like, it's this weird two-handed high finish. That looks yeah. just like a cricket swing. It's amazing. And he's like physically impressive and he's got huge power. But I'm with you. Like I tend to lock into players with like really high contact numbers, even if like maybe some of the other tools are still in question. Cause I just feel like that floor. That's why like Nolan Chanel was someone I kind of slept on pre-draft and then I moved way up. And this was way before. Oh, yeah. DVR, you, know, you were showing me a video of him. He's got, he's got a Hands pretty up. wild setup. He yeah, does. He's got, yeah. Up hands above are up the helmet. high and. Yeah, it's pretty. I mean, there's there's multiple guys with some interesting swings. Jacob Gonzalez and all these guys I've seen recently too. Uh, but yeah, Chanel is an interesting swing for sure. But he gets the bat in the path every single time and not getting beat. And he's already at freaking double A. So that would be well, a guy Matt Olson has a weird over. setup. So yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I, I, weird doesn't bother me as much as just the clear swing and miss bat to ball problems. And I wonder with Namala too, if because it's an unusual setup, if that kind of weighs into the analysis, if he gets dinged for having that that different sort of look. I don't know. Well, his is more about the finish. It's about the cricket finish type of thing. But uh, he's just yeah, raw. Like two-handed high finish. So the, the players he specifically brought up here, just interesting because it's like you're talking about a Dodger system who does great with pitchers. That you know these guys are getting closer, and but not every talking, single one of them had great numbers in the minors. For no, the Dodgers has has come out and done great. So you got that, and then you got one of the most raw players that has mm -hmm. huge upside. So like the very particular players he brought up make this an interesting question. 
I think you could just interchange some pieces to where I'm just going to like answer it's first year high, high upside all the time if the right players are in mind. Mm. And like if he'd asked about George Lombard instead of, you know, or I just said, yes, me, or you could have Colin Houck, who the Mets took, or um, you who's, know, a, who's, a pop or up, who's a pop up bat right now that's a player development bat? Uh, Cole Carrick is a pop-up bat. You want to talk about, I got him hitting, uh, uh, his first pro homer the other day. This was at that Rangers game before the trade. He was a catcher in at San Diego state. I think San Diego state. And he's the guy that at the draft combine, he threw a hundred from the infield and they're playing him in the outfield. And no, I mean, I mean more of like a closer guy, like a player development, like, you know, like a river Ryan, like a, what's a river Ryan-esque bat. Okay, well, like there's a, Cole Carrick to you. Um, mm-hmm. Everyone can have Cole Carrick there. Um, closer, <laughs> but like an older-ish guy. Gosh, yeah, who's like, here. you know, you know that has like who's a pop-up, you know, double-A. Okay, how about Zach Desenzo? Or actually, I'll give you, uh, there's two that just jumped to my mind here as I'm looking at my list. Zach Desenzo with the Astros. There's a good organization that uh, builds players. Uh, Zach Desenzo is double-A, 23 years old, hitting 332, seven homers, 15 stolen bases with the Astros. How do you spell that? Uh, D-E-Z-E-N-Z-O. Oh, wow, there he is. So you want to talk about like pop-up, you know, ish prospects. That's a guy. Yeah. Huge, huge numbers. Another one was uh, Joey Luperfito. He's a second baseman. He's 24 years old, double-A hitting 295 with 17 homers, 21 stolen bases. Those are probably more realistically the older, more pop-up, probably need to move up a level, not on a lot of radar type of guys. Now you're putting those two hitters versus like Arjun Namala. I think it's, I mean, I I think I might have both of those guys over Namala. It's right in the same range. Those are guys that might be better bets, especially like DeCenzo with the Astros seems like a really good spot. Uh, Luper Fido has put up some, you know, he's going to have a 2020 season. So those would be, probably more prime bat guys uh, in this conversation. Yeah, and I think the other part of this question was uh, included here. It was, if I go with the strategy of reading the draft room, is it best to count out the first round as everyone goes after their favorite new draft picks? I, I don't know. Like, I, I don't. I think it depends on how sharp your room is. Like Some, some dynasty rooms are not just going to follow the first round picks. Some are going to be really good about zigging away from some of the later first rounders who are, as Eno pointed out, much less of a sure thing to be impact big leaguers or much further away from the big leagues. At least that's been my experience. And well, you want more dissent. Yeah. And like they're the biggest gap for prospect people that do this, any of this stuff is first year player stuff all over the board. Everybody's different. Everyone's got, I mean, you might not have different top, but you even have different top ones right now. Some people have skeins, some have Cruz, some have Langford, um, from top to bottom, the value differential is so And then where you slot those into your existing list. You yeah, know? it's so different. You know, there's going to be someone that's like, well, Jacob Wilson went six overall, has one of the better hit tools. I'm going to take him in the top 10. And then, you know, like, I want to like him, but I, I don't. I don't, I don't, from a fantasy perspective, I think he'd be a great mm-hmm. real life player. But from a fantasy perspective, I don't want him. And he went six overall. That's going to be tempting. So I wouldn't discount anything. Just maybe understand the player pool because you don't know. I think crazy things could. I think this first year player could be kind of wild with some of the pitchers that are available, some college pitching, and the hit it, and the hitters. There's you know some great great and, college. And don't forget at the top. Japan. You know uh, we yeah. might have Shota Managa uh, coming over, and he might be like my number two uh, pitcher in a first year player draft. Ooh, Paul Skeens or him? I mean, I'd take Paul Skeens. Okay, I'm just checking. 
<laughs> I, agree. I agree. I agree. But I love it, Monica. Yeah. Well, we're going to go. The deadline is a few hours away. So if you don't have a subscription to The Athletic, you should get one now. $2 a month for the first year at theathletic.com slash rates and barrels. You can find us on Twitter. Eno's at Eno Saris. Welsh is at Is It The Welsh. I am at Derek Van Riper. That's going to do it for this episode of Rates and Barrels. We're back with you on Wednesday. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.